Last week we closed out our family camp, and so we paused our series through John in order to give way to that. And um, because it's been a couple weeks, I want to read verses 20 through 36 just to refresh our minds, the context in which we're in. The Bible says in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and, Andrew, and again Andrew, and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, An angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, We've heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While you have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed, and did hide himself from them. So remember... <clears throat> Excuse me. That the whole context here, Jesus is speaking of his death, which is now less than a week away. Jesus calls it the hour of his glorification in verse 23. In verse 24, he likens his death to a kernel of wheat that must go into the ground and die in order for it to bring forth much fruit. In verse 27, Jesus once again refers to his death as this hour. And not only would his death glorify himself, but we see that it would also glorify the Father. And then for two weeks, we looked at verse uh, 31 and how Jesus' death upon the cross would mark the judgment of this world. Without re-preaching those messages, I'll simply remind you that your judgment of who Jesus is and why he was on the cross is what will determine your fate for all eternity. It's a judgment. It's a judgment that you have to make. Then we also considered how Jesus' death upon the cross was a judgment point between him and Satan. And though there really was no contest because God is almighty, he's all powerful. When Jesus gave his life upon the cross, the prince of this world would be cast out. And remember the contrast of Satan being cast out in verse 31 and Jesus drawing men in in verse 32. The casting out of Satan would lead to the drawing in of sinners. And the application I tried to make there was that 
any soul who will genuinely come to Christ, Satan cannot hold that soul captive. He has no power over that. And uh, that message was too involved to try and recap it here in just a few sentences. So if you missed it, you just need to listen to it. Amen. And with that in mind, let's go to commercial break. Are you tired of fumbling around with CDs? (laughs) And you got a picture like those infomercials where... (laughs) Sick of scratches that make playback impossible? Well, sermons are now available online at our website. Or you can subscribe to our podcast. Why not ditch the CDs and listen to MP3s? Now let's return to our program and another exciting message (laughs) preached by Pastor Brooks before the great folks at Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. (sighs) Thank you, Rod Roddy. Amen. How many know who Rod Roddy even is? He's the Price is Right guy all those years. A new car! And everybody's like... You still got to win the thing. Anyway, we are way off track here. Um, so Jesus, he continues the theme of his impending death in verse 32 by saying, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now that word and at the beginning of verse 32 connects it with the previous verse. And as I already preached last time, and I just mentioned earlier, Satan will be cast out and our Lord will draw in. And in verse 33, John makes sure that the reader, us, understands what is meant by Jesus being lifted up from the earth. So he writes, this he said, signifying what type of death uh, he should die. Signifying what death he should die. In those days, under Roman dominance, people knew what was meant when somebody was going to be lifted up. Um, It meant crucifixion. And I'm sure we'll visit this thought again in the future, but crucifixion was a very torturous process. It was almost always preceded by scourging. And scourging in of itself was a brutal ordeal. Under the law, God had permitted up to 40 stripes to be given to a criminal, but it was carried out differently under the law than it was under the Romans. The criminal was to lie down on his stomach and be beat only upon his back before the judge who had ordered the sentence. But by the time the Roman government had taken over in Judea, scourgings had become far more brutal. To the point that 40 stripes was almost considered a death sentence. Which is why the Apostle Paul said of the Jews five times received I 40 stripes save one. They didn't want to be considered a vile person, as the law would call them, uh, if they gave 40 and it caused them to die. So instead, they would just issue the punishment of 39. And, And the criminal in those days, once the Romans came in, would no longer lay upon their back, but they would be stripped of their clothes and tied with their hands typically above their head, uh, hanging from some sort of a beam some kind of a whipping post. And then the one doing the scourging would take the whip, which uh, we're told had sharp objects at the end of it where it would have pieces of bone or glass or something like that embedded 
at the tails of the whip, and the whip would lash across the back, and it would wrap around to the stomach, and as they would pull that whip back off, it would literally tear the flesh from bone. In those days, the scourging process was intended to make one bleed. And so severe were some of those that the criminal would literally just bleed out and die before they ever got to crucifixion. After the scourging, the criminal would then have to take up his cross and carry it to the place where the crucifixion would take place outside the city. But usually they had become so weakened by the scourging that they could only carry so far until one would be selected from the crowd to help carry this cross to the place of this man's death. We see this in the case of Jesus. And then at the crucifixion place, the criminal would be nailed to the cross. And I don't know what was the case for sure in Jerusalem. But in some places, the main uh, vertical beam would just always be in place. And they would only take the horizontal beam, and that's what the criminal would have to carry up. And they would then uh, nail him to that horizontal beam. And then with some sort of ropes or some men, they would lift up that beam and fasten it to that vertical beam and hang him there. I don't know what the case was in Jerusalem. Perhaps Christ carried an entire cross and there was just a hole there that they would raise that cross up. Um, I'm probably getting ahead of myself just a bit. And, and so they would, they would hang him there and then they would fasten his feet to the cross. And as I was saying, if they carried the entire cross, they would nail him to both beams and, and then raise up that vertical beam and, and drop that cross into a hole pre-dug. That was a, a very jarring experience for somebody who's nailed, just been scourged, naked before the world, and that would just drop down. And there's reports that sometimes their shoulders would come out of socket. And read Psalm 22 and you'll see some of that. He said, my bones are out of joint. There's a great deal of pain just on that. And once upon the cross, it is said that the longer the condemned would hang there, the more difficult it would be for that person to take a breath. Because they needed strength of some kind to raise up with their feet just to get a breath. Therefore, most died on the cross due to a suffocation. And it really would be a combination of a, num- a number of traumas. There was severe bleeding taking place. There was starvation. There was dehydration. There was suffocation. And altogether, it was a very torturous death. And sometimes, for various reasons, the, the, the soldier would want or, or need to hasten the death of the one on the cross and they would take some sort of implement and they would break the leg of the person on the cross so that they could no longer raise up and take a breath. And it would speed up their suffocation. In addition to breaking the legs, the soldiers would sometimes take a spear and they would stab into the side of the criminal near the heart as a way to quicken their death. 
We see both these processes in practice on the day of Christ's crucifixion. And it was Passover time, and so the Jews wanted the bodies down from off the cross that were outside the city. And the Bible says in John 19, verses 31 through 34, the Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day. This is talking about Passover time. They besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and break the leg of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. Now, in some cases, secular history has recorded that the criminals would be kept alive as long as possible to send a message to those who might have in their minds that I want to commit that crime. And, and so they would have that up there as a deterrent. They would keep that criminal alive as long as they could. Secular history also records that many of the corpses would be left on the cross. They would not receive a proper burial. They would be, begin to decompose and rot. Animals would come and eat the bodies. This is why there's not much archaeological evidence for those who have been pierced. And this is why Joseph of Arimathea, he goes to Pilate and the Bible says he begs the body of Christ. Because he wanted to give him a proper burial. But I hope you're getting how brutal this process was. Because it's very important to understand the process of crucifixion when we get to verse 34. This is how our Savior willingly gave his life. He was scourged. He was tortured on the cross in your place. That should have been our cross that day. That should have been our death. But Christ died in our place. And don't forget that on that old rugged cross, He was bearing our sin. He was enduring the wrath of God as He became sin for us so that we wouldn't have to. And He shed His perfect blood that day so that we could know mercy. And so Jesus says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto uh, unto me. Now, we must not lose sight that this is the only begotten Son of God who's saying this. This is God in the flesh who is saying to those around them that day, I'm going to be crucified. Why did Jesus have to be lifted up? You ever ask yourself that question? I suppose there's many reasons we could come up with as an answer. We have some definite biblical reasons, which I'll mention as well, but some have said that Christ had to be lifted up between heaven and earth because earth wasn't worthy of Him, but heaven had to reject Him. Some say it this way, He was lifted up between heaven and earth, unworthy of both. The earth didn't want Him, and heaven couldn't receive Him yet. Well, that certainly makes for good preaching, but I'm sure... There's an element of truth there, but there's more. 
Sometimes I see Christ being lifted up because nothing that God did in reconciling sinners unto Himself was done in secret. It was made public for all the world to see. And because Jesus was a Jew and because Judea was under Roman rule, His death would have to include the Gentiles and the Jewish people. The children of Israel. Jesus had to go before the Jewish council and then go before the Roman government. And in that sense, all the world was condemned in Christ's death. For certain, Jesus had to be lifted up because the scriptures couldn't be fulfilled any other way. Which, by the way, it was prophesied before crucifixion was ever invented. Deuteronomy, though not expressly speaking of crucifixion, but that's how the Apostle Paul will interpret it when we get to the New Testament, says in Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23, And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is accursed of God. That the lamb be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. And then... The Apostle Paul there in Galatians 3 and verse 13 says this, taking that verse, applying it to Christ. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. The sweet psalmist of Israel penned in Psalm 22, verses 16 through 18. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands. And my feet, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. And when Jesus comes again, it was prophesied that a pierced Lord would be seen. In Zechariah chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. He had to be lifted up in order to fulfill Scripture. But he also had to be lifted up because he is the only remedy I won't preach John chapter 3 again. We did that several years ago. (laughs) But recall that Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, 14 and 15, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus was referring to the time that the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they began to murmur and complain against God and they spoke against God and Moses And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, which bit the people. And many were dying, the Bible says. The people recognize their sinfulness. They go to Moses. They're looking for a remedy. And God instructs Moses to make a serpent of brass to lift it up on a pole. And whoever who had, had been bitten would look at that, they would live. So crucifixion also satisfies a picture of Christ's foretold death. And his death is the only remedy For sinful man. We must look upon him. 
Now, what makes a great church? It's not numbers. It isn't extravagant buildings. It isn't who has the most ministries. But a great church is one who will lift up Christ. And we must lift Him up. We must proclaim the blood of Christ. And we must sing of the blood of Christ. And we must be washed in the blood of Christ. What makes a great witness for the Lord Jesus Christ? The one who will lift up Jesus Christ. We are not called to change the world. Jesus did not bring a political reformation. But we are called to win the world to Christ. And you do that by lifting Him up for His name's sake. People get nervous telling others about Christ, and I understand that. But all you need to do is you need to lift up Jesus Christ in your witnessing. Because here's what the lost is going to do. You're going to go to them, you're going to tell them about Christ, and they're going to say, well, do you think a person is born a homosexual? Don't get me off track, amen? I'm just going to lift up Christ. I'm just going to lift up Christ and your need for Him. Somebody's going to say this when you start witnessing to them. Well, what about that lost tribe down there in the Amazon jungle and they've never heard? I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about your need for Christ. And you stay focused and you lift up Christ and you lift up Christ. Is everybody with me? You keep lifting up the name of Christ. Have that removed immediately. <clears throat> And you just lift them up. You just tell the wondrous story of the Christ who died for you. But it was such a horrific event. I know. But to those who see Christ as their Savior and place their faith and trust in Him, that horrific, torturous event becomes a precious event. His blood becomes to us as precious blood. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fountain I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He who had no form nor comeliness and he who had no beauty that we should desire him and he whose visage was marred more than any man becomes the one who is altogether lovely. Amen. Why does the cross draw men unto the Lord? I can't rightly say apart from my own testimony. I know what it did for me, and I know what it can do for you. But somehow that old rugged cross becomes beautiful. Amen. That old rugged cross, which is the emblem of suffering and shame. That old rugged cross, which is so despised by the world. That old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine. That same old rugged cross, it now has a wondrous attraction for me. And that same old uh, rugged cross has a wondrous beauty I now see. Because it was on that old rugged cross where the dearest and best, where the dear Lamb of God suffered and died. It was on that old rugged cross where for a world of lost sinners He was slain that He might pardon and sanctify me. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. Till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross. And exchange it someday for a crown. Oh, I thank God for that old rugged cross. And you just lift him up. Lift him up. Keep lifting him up. And may the world be drawn unto him. To my limited knowledge, we are the only group of people who have a device invented for torture as our emblem. Our churches are adorned with crosses. 
People wear crosses. It is our rally cry. It is our standard. It is our banner which we fight under. Because my salvation was wrought by Christ on the cross. And then I ask myself the question, Lord, who am I? Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would pray, not my will, but thine, Lord? The answer I may never know why he ever loved me so, but to an old rugged cross he'd go. For who am I? Hallelujah, what a Savior. Y'all be okay if I just have a fit for a minute? I don't know if y'all are getting what I'm getting up here. But he died for me. I know I said it last time, but this makes no sense. We have the benefit of having a completed word of God, and it's easy for us to look back and make sense of it all. But I wonder, how would you have responded that day if you were there? And here's this man who uh, has been... Healing the sick, casting out demons, opening blinded eyes, opening deaf ears, loosening dumb tongues, raising the dead. Here's a man that the word is beginning to spread. The Messiah has arrived. And he says, if I be lifted up from the earth. What would go through your mind? What would go through your mind if the Messiah, this deliverer, which the Bible says would come out of Zion, told you he would be crucified? And even more strange is that he said in connection to his crucifixion that he would draw all men unto himself. Well, you might have responded the way they did in verse 34. Would you look at that with me again? The people answered him, we have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou the son of man should be lifted up? Who is this son of man? The people referred to asking this are either the Greeks from verse 20. Or perhaps it's now an intermixed crowd. I'm inclined to believe that those asking this are of Israel because of what follows in verses 37 through 41. And how that specifically refers to Israel. But whatever the case, the connection is made to Christ and the law. And those asking the question knew enough to say this. Hey, you know what we read in the word of God is that this Christ would abide forever. And, and you're saying he's going to die. In Psalm 110 and verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Davidic covenant stated in 2 Samuel seven thirteen, He shall build an house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The same context in Psalm 89, verses 36 and 37. His seed shall endure forever in his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven, Selah. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. There's plenty more passages I could cite. But remember in our text, their sights were set upon an earthly kingdom. We've covered that in depth. 
before. They were looking for that earthly kingdom where a Messiah would come in and he would uh, return to the glory days of David when Israel was reigning supreme. It made no sense that a Messiah would die on a cross. It makes no sense that a king would die on a cross. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And I don't have time to develop this further, so if the Lord wills, we might come back to this next time. But while it makes no sense to the world, I want you to go out of here preaching the wisdom and might of God. The wisdom of the cross. The power of the cross. Because there was a time in your life when you didn't understand it either. All we need to do is keep planting, keep watering. And then we pray the Lord of the harvest to draw men unto himself. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so I want us this morning to go out of here lifting up Christ. Will you pray with me, please? God, I pray that if somebody here is lost and without you, they've never put their faith and trust in you. And maybe for the first time they have seen the Lord lifted up in such a way they've never seen him before to know and to understand that he was dying in their place to reconcile us to God. Lord, if there's one lost, would they please come to be saved? Lord, for the, the rest of us, I pray that maybe we've lost sight of the main message, and that is preaching Christ and Him crucified. And may we go out of here today encouraged, refreshed, challenged to go out of here preaching Christ. Just lift Him up. Point people to the Savior. God, may we never be ashamed of that old rugged cross. To wit, God was reconciling sinners to Himself. Thank you for buying my pardon. I love you for Christ's sake.